you don't get enough sleep, that entrepreneurs aren't as good at identifying opportunities, coming up with ideas, and they're not as good at evaluating opportunities that are placed before them. Human OS. Learn. Master. Achieve. At the surface, sleep looks like a colossal waste of time. Think about it. We spend a third of our lives laying down with our eyes closed, basically doing nothing. It's easy to see why high-achieving people throughout history, like Thomas Edison and Benjamin Franklin, aspire to get by with less of it. And even today, people who are trying to maximize productivity are prone to shortchanging sleep so they can get more done. Twitter founder and CEO Jack Dorsey, for instance, reported he was only getting about four to six hours of sleep per night in 2011. For most of us, though, this might not be a winning strategy. For one thing, we know that sleep deprivation increases our risk for chronic disease, including diabetes, atherosclerosis, obesity, and more. But even beyond the physical toll, research has revealed for focus and attention, for staying alert, and for learning and remembering things, and for a host of executive functions that are required to be at our best at work and in another endeavors in life. Meaning that you might gain an extra hour or two if you cut out some sleep, but your ability to perform mentally during that time may be compromised. And you may actually get less done in the long run. Your work may suffer. You might think that this doesn't apply to you, but bear in mind that the impact of sleep loss can be very subtle and hard to recognize in ourselves, which is why we need controlled studies to elucidate these effects. That's why I'm pleased to have Jeff on the show and has also personal experience in venture development. He founded multiple businesses with successful exits and now invests in other founders and their ventures. His research focuses on entrepreneur behavior, including how entrepreneurs decide to found new ventures and make business decisions. Recently, he has begun to explore how day-to-day variations in biological dynamic influences affect these processes, including sleep. He and his colleagues recently performed a series of elegantly designed studies examining how sleep or the lack thereof affected the ability of entrepreneurs to generate business ideas and to assess the viability of business pitches that were presented to them. The studies suggest, unsurprisingly, that sleep plays a vital role in the cognitive processes behind successful entrepreneurship. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us a little more about your background and what made you interested in the role of sleep in cognitive processes that underlie entrepreneurship. I had a business for seven years. When I sold it, I had 57 employees and I was one of the people who was trying to get by on less sleep. And I frequently uttered phrases like sleep's a waste of time. Sleep is for weaklings. I'll sleep when I die. I don't know if I actually said those things, but I was thinking them and and I had conversations around them with colleagues who were also in business. They were of the same attitude. And I always knew in the back of my mind that that's probably not a great way to operate, but there is a trade-off, right? As you mentioned before, you get extra time if you sleep less. So I was frequently choosing extra time to devote to my venture over sleeping. And I think a lot of my colleagues who were small business people and high growth entrepreneurs themselves were doing the same thing. And so the reason I got interested in this is because I sold my business and I was deciding what's next in life. And I decided to pursue a PhD at University of Oregon. And as I was entering the world of academic research, I started talking to a person at the University of Washington. He's a co-author on this paper. And he started telling me because of my penchant for drinking coffee and sleeping less that I was basically addicted to crack and that I needed to change the way I thought about it. And I thought, okay, that's a really one-sided viewpoint, but it got me thinking. And so we started talking more about the types of deficits that exist when you don't get enough sleep. And in those conversations, we started a research project. And as I went through my PhD and now I'm an assistant professor at University of Central Florida, 
we continued to study these things. And we've got several papers now on sleep. And this person during that time at the University of Washington, his name's Chris Barnes, has really become the sleep guy in organizational research. And so this is an entrepreneurship paper, but uh, he does research all over the map on how sleep affects people in organizations. And so I was happy to have him on this paper. He contributed intellectually to the work. And what we find in the paper at a very high level is that entrepreneurs aren't as good at identifying opportunities, coming up with ideas, and they're not as good at evaluating opportunities that are placed before them. You don't get enough sleep. So that's the basis of the research. You know, you brought up Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Edison, who also uttered phrases like sleep is a waste of time. That's a direct quote from Thomas Edison. There are people who, whether it's because of recent research that exists or through their own intuition in business, who are trying to buck that trend and go a different direction. And I'll bring up Jeff Bezos as an example, who suggests that he needs at least seven to eight hours of sleep per night. That fits right in line with the National Sleep Foundation's recommendations. And Arianna Huffington has gone one step further to start a sleep revolution. And that's the title of her most recent book on the topic, because she was one of those people who took her experience of waking up in a pool of her own blood because she fell out and hit her head due to lack of sleep to get her to say, all right, this is crazy. This life is crazy. I need to think about human sustainability and well-being if I'm going to be successful in business. So it's not everyone who's successful, doesn't sleep a lot. And it's possible if those people that don't sleep a lot that are successful are successful despite the fact that they don't sleep a lot. Sleep revolution is an apt idea in that we are in a new time where historically many had viewed sleep as this monumental waste of time. A time where if those who are serious about their work would be spending getting additional hours in the day committed to their work. But I think because of now new understanding of the importance of sleep and having those ideas permeate, we are at a place now where the pressures to get less sleep exist and are probably as great as ever. But the awareness that it is important is also growing as well. So it's nice to see your work directly relating to entrepreneurship because at high growth companies, the demands placed upon these individuals are great, oftentimes doing the jobs of multiple people. And so you have to then have such a clear understanding of the value of sleep that you have to counteract the pressure. Let's talk a little bit about cognitive processes. For a good chunk of the study, you're testing cognitive processes or similarity comparisons and structural alignment, something that might not be familiar territory for a lot of us. So tell us about structural alignment theory and the differences between superficial and structural similarities and how it relates to cognitive processes that entrepreneurship demands of us. Sure. So thinking about structural alignment theory at a very high level, you can use the analogy of an iceberg. And at the tip is superficial alignments between a new technology and a market that it might be applied to. So these are two different things that you're comparing to one another. And I use the iceberg analogy, even though it's cliche, because it's just a nice visual way to think about it. So at the surface, a new technology and a market might look like they match. For example, child psychologists at Stanford University designed some educational tool for kids in K-12 education. Superficially, that makes a lot of sense. Structurally is actually why a new technology might work for a particular market. If that technology that was developed at Stanford University doesn't apply to the problem that those K-12 students are experiencing, then it's probably not going to have much commercial success, even though it seems superficially like those two things are aligned. Let's take the example of ADHD and attention deficit. If the Stanford psychologists are working on something that alleviates stress in students, it probably won't help that market that's looking for a non-medical solution to ADHD. And so structurally, that idea doesn't work, even though superficially it does. Under the surface, if they do match, they don't have to match superficially. The tip of the iceberg does not matter in commercializing a technology for a particular market. It's the structural stuff that does matter, the how and why a technology works for a market, and even potential benefits and problems that a market might experience when using and adopting a new technology. Let's say in that same example where I was talking about, maybe it's not Stanford child psychologists, it's some totally unrelated field. It's a technology developed for adults, but it has to do with, let's say it's a technology designed for pilots and paying attention while you're flying a plane. 
And this is a real commercial example that I'm drawing from, and I won't get into too many details on the example, but let's just say it's a tool designed to monitor pilots' attention while they're flying a plane. Kind of an important thing, especially if you're flying precious cargo, including humans. Developing attention tools for pilots is not the same thing as developing ADHD solutions for K-12 through education kids. Kids and the pilots are two totally different markets, right? But structurally, there's a lot of congruity there. If you're monitoring attention of pilots, you'd be monitoring a kid's attention, doing some type of a task. And it turns out that this simulator technology that was made to monitor pilots' attention was also applied in a strategic partnership with the Sony platform for a racing game such that kids with ADHD could use and find a non-medical solution for attention deficit disorder. The way that it works is it makes a race car driving game harder to control. Just like in the simulator, it made it harder to control the plane controls if somebody's attention wavered. Structurally, a lot of the benefits that one market gets apply to another one. And so that's why this technology worked with a new market, because structurally they were aligned, even though superficially they were not. I see. The core elements of what is making this technology or mechanism work in one population would look very different, but should still work if it's assessing elements of cognitive processing that should apply to other populations as well, at least theoretically. Yeah. And in practice, too, this is a flight simulation technology it was actually developed at NASA for shuttle pilots, and it was applied with a strategic partnership with one of the PlayStation platforms and received venture funding. So you can argue about the efficacy of whether it makes sense for kids with ADHD to play more video games, but it did get some commercial backing and the way they monitored attention was with an EEG helmet. So it wasn't like this was a really affordable thing, but there are a lot of parents who don't want medical solutions like Ritalin and other drugs uh, for their kids when they have ADHD. So there was some traction and some commercial success in that, in that area. Broadly speaking, how might sleep or lack thereof affect these cognitive processes, which then underlie opportunity ideation and assessing venture ideas? So moving over to, to the sleep element. Why do you think that this connection is meaningful? There's a lot of sleep research out there that talks about how we have cognitive deficits when we're sleep deprived. We make decisions with more of an emotional tone tied to our memories. When we're trying to draw on rational decision-making schema, we're not able to because there's emotions tied to that if we don't sleep well. Sleep enables us to shed affective tone that, that surrounds our memories. And if you're thinking about a new presentation, something that's being presented to you right now, usually you compare that to your memories, first of all. So your memories could be tainted based on the fact you didn't get sleep. But perhaps more importantly, there are fMRI studies that say we use a different portion of our brain to make those decisions when we are sleep deprived. So if you're using a different portion of your brain or if a different portion of your brain is firing when you're sleep deprived than when you're well rested, it's unlikely that you would make a similar decision. And in this situation with entrepreneurs, we did three different studies, two of them with entrepreneur samples and one with entrepreneur student samples, so students who are studying to be entrepreneurs. The first one was 780 entrepreneurs around the world where we compared them to each other to see if people who had slept less were able to pick out those structural alignments between a technology and a market that it would be applied to. And it turned out that people who were more well-rested did a better job of picking out those structural alignments and didn't rely on the superficial comparisons between a market and a technology. The common pushback that I would receive when I started talking to people about that study, like I gave this presentation to a group of 250 angel investors and entrepreneurs, a few of them came up to me afterwards, and one was particularly vociferous and said, hey, that's not me. I don't need to sleep as much as everybody else. I get by on three to four hours of sleep. So what can you say that provides evidence that I'm not different? At the time, I couldn't really say anything when I was talking about that study where I compared entrepreneurs to each other, because there are differing levels of sleep. I think those are overblown. You talked about how some people get by on very few hours of sleep, and there's a thing called short sleepers. But even the highest estimate of those are 1% of the population. And there's 12% of people, at least in the United States, who claim to be self-employed. 
And so even if everyone who's a short sleeper is self-selected into an entrepreneurial career, that doesn't happen, by the way, we'd still have a problem with all entrepreneurs going out and saying that sleep isn't so important. So I didn't have an answer for that person at the time. But the second study helped speak to that question of what if I don't need as much sleep as everybody else? So the second study compares an entrepreneur to him or herself. I followed over 100 entrepreneurs from around the world. Six different continents are represented in this sample. And I followed them for two weeks. And I check in with them twice per day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. And I asked them about their sleep in the morning. And then I had them evaluate opportunities, particularly paying attention to whether they can tap into the structural alignments between a technology and a market that it's intended for. Turns out that even if during the course of the study, you averaged five hours of sleep, you at least are sleeping less than a person who sleeps seven hours on average. You're better at evaluation when you get six hours than when you get five. That person has an average of five. And that person can then say, okay, I only need five hours of sleep, but I'm better at evaluation of opportunities when I get six. And that tells me that maybe you don't only need five hours of sleep, especially if you're a practically entrepreneur, because you're more willing to go with those superficial judgments about an opportunity than getting deeper and looking at the structural alignments. I'm glad you did the second study because showing that within person comparison over the course of a couple of week period is really critical. And I call the effects of sleep over time meaningful but invisible, where you can acclimate to the feeling of getting better sleep or less sleep, and it all sort of feels normal. And so showing people objective data that indicates that they are thinking better is a really good piece of information to have to show these folks. It is very common for people to feel, I do great. I don't need sleep. I agree. So how did you come up with the venture ideas that were presented to participants and how did you manipulate them to capture effects of sleep duration? Well, it's hard to say verbally. I usually have the, the aid of slides. Usually like to <laughs> yes. show people how I manipulated, but we can go back to that NASA example with the monitoring pilot's attention. I came up with two weeks worth of businesses. So 14 different opportunities okay. that entrepreneurs evaluated and you evaluate one per day. There are two different things that I changed. I changed the superficial alignment to be aligned or not. And then I changed the structural alignment to be aligned or not. And so with that NASA example, the real example, the real world example was the technology was developed by NASA engineers for shuttle pilots that is not aligned with K through 12 kids in education. Uh, but structurally, the alignment is there when you're, you know, it's made to monitor pilots' attention and kids who are suffering from ADHD could also benefit from having their attention deficit monitored. Okay. So structurally, that's aligned. If I change the superficial alignment, what I'm changing is instead of NASA scientists developing it, it might be Stanford child psychologists who are developing a new technology for a non-medical solution for ADHD K-12 kids, right? So then it's got superficial. And if it's made for attention vigilance, then it's also structurally aligned, right? So then it's obvious. You don't have to go deeper than superficial level in that particular manipulation. Right. If I want to change the structural alignment, I might say, and I think I mentioned this earlier, I might adapt it so that the technology is developed to monitor stress. So if the technology is developed to monitor stress, that is not analogous with helping attention deficit. And so structurally, the how and why or the benefits and problems of that technology for that market don't work, right? So you can modify that. And so when you have superficial and structural alignment, I call that an obvious good opportunity, right? You don't have to go deeper than superficial level to make judgment on that one. Same thing if you have poor superficial and structural alignment. In that particular situation, you don't have to go deeper than superficial level to say, this isn't a good idea. This idea will not have commercial success. But it's in the non-obvious conditions where I'm interested in whether sleep plays a role. And so in the NASA example where the superficial alignment wasn't there, technology was developed for pilots applied to K through 12 kids. Superficially, it wasn't aligned, but it was designed for attention. That's a non-obvious good idea because there are specific benefits and the how and why work for that particular market. 
And so there's also non-obvious bad ideas where they're superficially aligned, but structurally they're not. Okay. So in those two situations, you get multiple of these over the course of the study. If you're an entrepreneur who's going through the study and each day would be a new opportunity. You get served one of those conditions. And sure enough, in those ones where you didn't have to go deeper than the superficial level, it's superficial structural match, either high or low. Sleep didn't matter because you didn't have to go deeper than the tip of the iceberg to go back to the iceberg analogy. Mm-hmm. You have to go deeper than the tip of the iceberg to make a judgment on whether this venture would have commercial success. Mm-hmm. In those non-obvious opportunities where the deficits exist and where errors occur. And it turns out that when you sleep less than normal for yourself, you make errors in both the non-obvious good opportunities and the non-obvious bad opportunities. Mm-hmm. So no results in those matching conditions. And when there's mismatch, non-obvious opportunities, when you sleep less than yourself, you're worse at evaluating those opportunities. Did you assess at a baseline the participant's capacity to make determinations on these types of assessments and then look to see the variable of sleep and how that influenced their ability or did you need to because you were doing day-by-day assessments and you could then just look at last night's sleep and today's performance? Well, the study materials were vetted. Some of them are in the literature. Some of them I wrote as analogous to the things that are already in the literature. So they've been verified and vetted. And there's published peer-reviewed research that talks about how this is how expert entrepreneurs make decisions, right? So we are comparing entrepreneurs to themselves on previous nights. And so I think, you know, even if you're not good at uncovering these things, these structural alignments, let's say you have a low baseline level for going beyond superficial level and looking at structural alignments, even if you have a low level, it gets worse when you don't have sleep. That's the commentary that I can rely on with this diary study with entrepreneurs. And if you have a high level, again, you are statistically worse at getting to the structural, like let's say you're really good at picking out structural alignments, well, you're worse at it when you get less sleep. And so since you're comparing entrepreneurs to themselves, it washes out the difference in ability because we're just comparing, again, an entrepreneur to his or her previous self when they were well rested or short on sleep. Yeah. So these studies reveal valuable information, but they're correlational, meaning that you really can't establish a lack of sleep caused the subjects to perform worse at evaluating the venture ideas. So you performed a third study where you actually directly altered sleep in the lab. Describe that procedure. Great. That's exactly what I was thinking is that, you know, these are correlational. And so can we get some causal way to say the sleep is the culprit here? And so we used a randomized trial and this is with entrepreneurship students. I would have loved to do a randomized trial with entrepreneurs, but I wasn't able to get that done. The next best thing is to do that with students and they are entrepreneurship students. These are people who are interested in applying a new technology to a market in their future, whether it be in the near future or far future. They're interested in this topic of entrepreneurship and they're studying entrepreneurship. So they're studying how to evaluate opportunities. So we randomly assigned the conditions. They opted into the study by just saying they knew that they had a chance of being randomly assigned to a sleep deprivation condition. But the two different conditions were either slept at least seven hours with no naps, no caffeine, or you stayed up all night with no naps, no caffeine. So at least 24 hours of complete sleep deprivation is the experimental condition. And by doing random assignment, we can assume that all of the things are equal, including gender abilities and evaluating opportunities, these types of variables that might matter for the outcome variables. And what we find is that, sure enough, sleep is, it makes a major impact on the ability to pick out these structural alignments between a technology and market. And it's a lot stronger effect size when you use total sleep deprivation, at least yeah. in this context. And an important comment to make there, because my PhD research looked at ecologically relevant amounts of sleep loss and the effects on the brain. So many sleep deprivation studies will do one night of no sleep at all. 
important because it can help unveil an effect if it's there. But the sleep loss experience in society is not because of one full night of sleep loss. But Hans van Dongen, who was at the University of Washington State, or Washington State University, had done some really important work looking at this with David Dinges. And he shows basically, at least on some parameters, like psychomotor vigilance test, which is a test of reaction time, nine days of partial sleep restriction to six hours per night, you basically are performing as though you've been up for two straight days. And so we do see the loss of cognitive capacities with just missing a little bit of sleep in healthy subjects night after night. So I do think that, of course, this stuff is relevant. It just sort of accelerate the effects. And perhaps, I mean, at least in this context, I feel like I accelerate the effects by doing total sleep deprivation. But I'll point to another study, and I'm familiar with the paper that you're talking about, where you accumulate sleep debt over time, such that it's just like being sleep deprived. But there's another study in 2017 by Marich and other authors on this paper, Frontiers in Neurobiology, and they're looking at risk-taking propensity, which is pertinent in the entrepreneurial context. And so they have a group that sleeps at least seven hours. They've got a group that is sleep-restricted, so sleeping five hours per night, less than the recommended amount. And they have a total sleep deprivation group, too. And they compare those groups' performance on risk-taking propensity. And when I'm giving the presentation to people and I talk to them about it, I say, which one do you think performed the worst or took the biggest risks, I guess you should say. And most people guess that it's the sleep-deprived group, but it's actually the sleep-restricted group. And I've done a lot of thinking on why that might be. There's other research out there that says that we're bad at recognizing when we have these cognitive deficits that are associated with sleep loss and sleep restriction. And so when you're totally sleep-deprived, it's very clear that you're not making decisions the way that you might be if you were well-rested. It's very salient that I didn't sleep last night and yeah. I need to buckle down and focus or whatever it is you do. You still don't have those cognitive resources, but you slow down. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs who wear lack of sleep like a badge of honor. So I think that when they are sleep restricted, they're walking around as though nothing is affecting them. Yeah. And that's when you're subject to falling into these traps. Like, let's say you decide to pursue a venture that has no structural alignment, but it's superficially aligned. That's a big mistake and it could cost valuable resources and it could be in the end of your entrepreneurial career. But if you're walking around as though nothing's the matter and sleeping five hours a night, I think it's when people sort of push through the notion that you need sleep and get as little as possible. I think that's the most dangerous concoction of behavior because it causes people to have the cognitive deficits and also feel like I'm just fine. I'll push through and sleep is for weekly. I think that's a great point, Jeff. If you have missed one full night of sleep, your alertness to the fact that you are sleep deprived is, like you said, it's much more salient than it would be if you just didn't get quite enough sleep for night after night, which is very common. And if you looked in the same paper from Ben Dongan, the objective reaction time impairments accumulated over days, but there was a saturating curve with subjective sleep assessment. So your sleepiness got worse for a day or two, and then it leveled out and you weren't getting any sleepier. And that led to, as they said, this condition, which could be a underestimation of your impairment and an overestimation of of your abilities, which is really problematic and I think emblematic of modern society for a lot of people that are really hard charging and work. Just seeing that data is really key. So this is really interesting work. From all of the work that you've done, what do you think are some of the synthesizing points of what you've found so far, like the high level ideas? Maybe it's not surprising that sleep deprivation or sleep restriction causes these type of cognitive deficits. We've known this for a long time, right? But I think the context of entrepreneurship is a particularly interesting one because of the culture that exists with entrepreneurs. They feel like their business is so important that they should sleep less. And having lived that culture and you know had a business myself, I totally understand the hustle and the grind and those notions of having people, resources, and organization on your back to make sure that it keeps working, right? So you know, when I give this presentation to entrepreneurs and angel investors, I tell them that my recommendation is not just sleep more because I feel like that's maybe going against what entrepreneurs feel is in their DNA. 
Mm-hmm. But like, I want to be part of the hustle. And so I don't want to encourage anybody to stop hustling, even though your health might benefit if you do. What I want to encourage people to do is understand that these deficits exist. And so if you're being pressed to make a decision on a sleepy mind, my recommendation is that you ask for time to sleep on. Instead of marching around with this badge of honor that is lack of sleep and feeling like everything's fine, making these decisions with cognitive deficits. So if you do ask for time to sleep on it, I tell them that your future self will thank you because you're going to make a better decision if you do it on good sleep. It's funny. My dad was a successful entrepreneur himself. Sadly, he passed away at a very young age at 59 because of cancer and he had very bad sleep apnea. I wouldn't doubt that some connection there was reality. The point though, however, is one of the pieces of advice that he gave me always, which stuck with me and which I apply today. He wasn't a sleep expert, but whenever he said, you're dealing with some big decision, sleep on it. He intuitively understood that creative process that occurs during sleep either lets you arrive at a stronger, more confident decision or seeing a situation from a different perspective than you could the night before. So I valued that advice you gave me. It's great advice. And it may have been due to intuition, but the research supports it. What other countervailing measures do you recommend for somebody in this condition who's hustling and has a lot of pressure on them? What do you recommend in terms of getting better sleep? The first thing you said was know the reality of the situation. What else do you tell them? Sleep is done in a context, right? And so there is something called the recovery paradox where people who have autonomous, high-pressure careers have a hard time actually disengaging from work and sleeping. They do what's called ruminating and thinking about something, perseverating on ideas. And I think entrepreneurs suffer from this a lot, right? So again, if something's really important to you, there's this paradox around recovery, sleep being one of those recovery activities where you're not able to disengage from work and you can't sleep. So I guess just making things as routine as you can is helpful, even though entrepreneurs' lives rarely feel routine, at least mine didn't in my experience. But establishing routines such that going to bed at a consistent time, fitting with your circadian rhythm, going to bed at a similar time, we do have a 24-hour clock inside of us. So this study that I talked about today is looking at homeostasis. This is, you know, getting your body enough sleep such that it doesn't feel like it needs more and your brain is making decisions on a well-rested night. But there's also these circadian processes, right? So if you follow your circadian clock and establish routines that fit with that circadian clock, you're more likely to get a high quality, sufficient quantity night of sleep. And you're less likely to suffer from these symptoms of insomnia that often accompany people who have a hard time recovering. Entrepreneurs fall into that recovery paradox. One thing we've written about previously on our blog is either keeping a journal of what you're grateful for or having a task journal and engaging with either one of those before bed, which one allowed for better sleep. And the main idea was that those who wrote down their tasks for the next day, instead of necessarily what they were grateful for that day, ended up sleeping better because it was an ability to sort of offload the ideas that you have to address tomorrow. And it potentially was reducing ruminations and allowing for people to disconnect and get the sleep that they'd want. Yeah, that's great. And there's also some research that suggests that sleep inspires insight. This is a 2004 paper. Wagner is the author's name. And they're trying to figure out whether people can come up with novel solutions to a number series problem. And it turns out that if you engage with the problem before a period of rest or sleep, that you're better at coming up with a novel insight sooner. You can crash through the problem and it takes a long time, but you can also figure out this novel solution that gets you to the answer a lot faster. People who have slept well are more insightful in coming up with that novel way to solve the problem. It's a good study and they control for a lot of different things that make me believe that sleep does indeed inspire insight. And it's one of the inspirations for the story, that 2004 paper. When you talked about practicing gratitude, it made me think of mindfulness practice. And there's a recent entrepreneurship paper from somebody who is from Oregon State University. Chuck Marinix is his name. He looked at how nothing substitutes for a good night of sleep, but mindfulness practice can help ameliorate or solve some of these cognitive deficits that exist when you're short on sleep. So they used an entrepreneur sample in that paper and found that when you practice mindfulness, it can help calm 
the mind. And perhaps that's another recommendation that would help with, I don't know this, but I'm just I'm thinking out loud here. I think that mindfulness practices may lead to better sleep as well. If you're able to sort of cognitively process these things, they don't keep rattling around in your mind. Do you plan on continuing doing research on sleep and entrepreneurship capability? Well, I've got another paper with a co-author named Amanda Williamson. She works in New Zealand, and it's where we look at innovative work behavior and how sleep influences your mood, which has a downstream effect of playing on your ability to innovate or think creatively. And it's another ESM study, so it's comparing entrepreneurs to themselves. And it was recently published in Entrepreneurship Theory and Practice, and we find that particularly for high-activated moods, like being happy and energetic, lack of sleep brings those down. That's an established finding. But then in turn, it diminishes innovative work behavior when less sleep brings down your high activated positive affect, positive moods. It brings down your ability to innovate and be creative. And so that's another example of a paper that's already published, but there are more in the works. I've got one that is under review right now, and it looks at how sleep influences ADHD-like tendencies. So this has to do with the business example I was giving earlier, but there is a literature that looks at how ADHD plays a role in entrepreneurship. And so people who have greater ADHD tendencies tend to lean toward chasing shiny new things. And one of those things is self-employment. And so what we find in this paper is that for both practicing entrepreneurs and for the general public, lack of sleep leads to more ADHD-like tendencies and increases your intentions to become an entrepreneur. And for practicing entrepreneurs, the same is true. Looking for a different and new business opportunity is increased when you're short on sleep. And we find that that path goes through ADHD-like tendencies. Fascinating. Gosh. Yeah. But I do other things too, but these are my sleep papers. And I'm not a sleep guy like Chris Barnes at University of Washington, but it certainly is a fascinating topic for me as a former entrepreneur to study, especially somebody who has changed his mind about sleep. Somebody who doesn't sleep well, it sounds like you might have struggled with sleep in your life and I'm there with you. It kind of inspires me to study these things and think about how our minds work differently and how our bodies react differently when we're short on sleep. And so a few different projects. And of course, I do other entrepreneurship research, which would be a topic for another day. Having been in the sciences of sleep for a long time now, seeing the direct application to work life studies into a population that can benefit from it, which is people working and doing modern work with all sorts of modern pressures. The more closely related the work is to essentially assessing entrepreneurs, you probably get greater adoption of the ideas. It's more tangible for those who are exposed to it. I think the future of the research in this area is to look at, at least in my shoes and for the people that I work with, we're interested in looking at the recovery paradox that I mentioned earlier and how people might say, okay, great. When we're short on sleep, we're not good at making decisions. Thanks. You're not telling me anything I didn't know. But if we can start looking at how to approach effectively this recovery paradox that people who have a lot of self-managed time and a lot of autonomy in their careers, you know, they have trouble disengaging from their work. And so how can we get it so that people have a better ability to disengage from their work, you know, whether it be through journaling, mindfulness, or something we haven't thought of yet? I think that's where the future of this research should go. I endeavor to delve into that, at least in the entrepreneurial realm myself. It's hard to always counteract the modern environment and those pressures. Awareness is one idea that can be helpful. But the reality is that people need to also know how to do better when they're not engaging in what we consider ideal behaviors around this particular subject like sleep. So knowing how to do better in the face of imperfection is a great objective. What are the interventions? What are the levers? And that's what I want to discover. I love it. Jeff, thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing your work with us. It's fascinating. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening. And come visit us soon at humanos.me.